Today is August 6, 2020, and this is Sam Walking in the World, Episode 4. Um, today I'm going to talk a little bit about... Uh, I was, Well, first let me tell you, I was driving um, through the city because I had to go pick somebody up. And uh, for some reason, driving always makes me think about ignorance. My, at first, other people's, and then uh, my own in the past. And uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about ignorance. I'm going to talk about listening. When I first really learned how to listen better. Uh, I'm going to talk about learning versus knowing. Um, you'll you'll understand what I mean as I explain. So this morning, my dog and I were out taking our morning constitutional, as usual. And um, I was thinking back to last night when I was driving. And uh, I just, God, it just appears that there are people who at least appear to be ignorant. And I got thinking about the nature of ignorance. I think... Colloquially, ignorance has come to mean stupid or rude. Like, how can you be so ignorant? But it really, it really means not knowing. Like to ignore, but I don't think it really means to ignore because to ignore means to know and not pay attention. I think ignorant means to not know. Like to not know any better. And I think, I don't think there's such a thing as ignorant people, period. I think people, all people at times fall into the category of ignorant. And it's relative to, from subject to subject. But I got thinking about the nature of ignorance and what is so tricky about it. The thing about ignorance is the worst thing about about ignorance is that one doesn't know one is it. If you're ignorant, you don't know it. Uh, I've taught a lot of different kinds of kids in my years, and I've taught some kids that were pretty hard-headed. And they would, they would fall into these patterns of behavior for whatever reason, socialization, whatever reason and 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 you would try to work with them to get them out of the I would try to work with them to get them out of these behaviors and it would just appear at times impossible and uh, I don't know how I'm I've heard people talk about the box being in the box I think outside the box um, and so I don't know why the, the, the idea of a box was in my head as I kept thinking about it over and over again. And, and somehow I ended up landing on the phrase kind of as a principle. Um, I would see other people get frustrated at these at these kids at different times. And and they I could just see them saying, like, why why doesn't this person get it? And uh, and I ended up landing on this phrase because it made sense to me as I said it. It seemed to capture the meaning. And it is. You can't talk to the creature in the box about being in the box. That kind of conversation just is not 
capable of happening. The, the person, the creature in the box, first of all, doesn't know it's in the box. Whatever the box is. And simply saying to the creature in the box, you're in a box. Well, that's not apparent to the creature in the box because the creature in the box is ignorant of that fact. I've also heard people say how the directions to getting out of the box are written on the outside of the box, not on the inside. So I, at first I thought that meant it was impossible to get out of the box because you can't get out to the outside in order to read the directions and how to get out because once you can read them, you're already out. But it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't get out of the box. It just means that something larger needs to happen in order for a person to get out of the box. Um, and that led me to think about listening. Um, I've, I used to think I was a good listener because I, I usually was pretty good at understanding what a person was saying. I could, I could kind of decipher from their language what it was that they were trying to say to me. And so once I once it occurred to me that I understood what they were saying, I thought to myself, hmm, I must be a good listener. I listened to that, and now I understand it. But I don't know if that really is... I guess that is part of listening, but there's another part of it that I think extends it out to where it can really be more beneficial to the listener. And um, over the last few years, one of the things that has made me a happier guy is that I feel like I've developed a better ability to listen in a, in a bigger way. Um, and so it got me thinking about this. Um, again, somebody once told me, I've had many, many teachers, um, um, I got thinking about how someone once said to me, you, you need to get better at, and this is going to sound strange, like all my stupid sayings, but at, at respecting the gap, you have to respect the gap, the gap, G-A-P. What's the gap? And the person explained to me that the gap is the amount of time in between when you're speaking to somebody in conversation the gap is the amount of time in between when they're done talking, at least for, for a period of time, and when you begin talking. So it's the time between when they stop and you begin. And I, everybody has probably experienced being in conversation with people, and, and you can just feel, especially if it's a group, say it's four or five people, you can just tell that, that people aren't listening to each other. They're... They've all sort of agreed to attach to a certain topic. Sometimes each person has their own story about something related to it, but you kind of get the sense that each person is just waiting for their turn to tell their anecdote related to the topic. Taking, waiting for your turn to talk is not the same as listening. That's because you happen to be silent while the person is talking. And this is especially true in one-on-one -on -one conversations. So getting back to the gap, this is going to just give you a scenario. So I'm talking to person A, and and they're talking, and I'm listening. Uh, if I if I cut them off while they're talking, 
and interject, interrupt, and begin talking, well, then the gap is non-existent. The gap is zero. I made them stop so that I could start talking. There was no gap. Or do I wait until they're done talking for at least a brief moment and then begin talking and have the gap be very small? In many of those cases, what I remember doing myself was I would be planning the thing I was going to say next while the person, maybe I'd be listening for a little while. And then all of a sudden my thoughts would turn to myself, something I have to say, something I think about it. And uh, I'll tune the other person out basically. And I'll, but out of politeness, I'll wait for them to finish. And then when they're done, I'll kind of give the obligatory few seconds can't be too long, though, because they might start talking again, and I have to say what I have to say. So <laughs> I give them like a second, and then I'll start talking. But the, f- the, the things that I say don't necessarily give them the idea that I absorbed what they said. It's not, it's not feedback on what they said as much as it is my own new thing on the topic. That doesn't make the other person feel listened to, just because I was silent while they were talking. So I guess part of this is, well, let me finish first. Then, then the third scenario is where the, where the gap is very long, where I think, I think this is the way to do it right, is the other person is talking. I'm listening in earnest. I'm actually trying to process each thing they're saying, even if it's boring. Believe me, plenty of times it's boring. But it's not necessarily for me. Their job isn't to entertain me or interest me. Um, It's their opportunity, I guess, that I've allowed them to be heard and listened to. So I listen. If I don't have any feedback at the end of it, often, like, the person can always tell after they're done talking. I wait a few seconds to make sure they don't have anything to say. And then I try to give them actual conversation back that's related to the thing they said so they can tell while he was listening a person was really listening to what i was saying often what i say back gives them another opportunity to talk maybe to elaborate further or to provide other details or to explain a little bit more but usually they want to i know i do when i'm talking i don't feel like doing a one and done every time that really makes you feel like people are just taking turns talking but To allow the other person to be heard is not only does it make other people, I don't want to say for lack of a better expression, feel better. um, It's good for me, I began noticing. Um, Often I would say things and right after I get done saying them, I'd be like, why did I have to say that? I guess because I felt, you know, kind of egoic at the moment. And I wanted to share my meanness. Me, me, me. And I'll get done and be like, that. What would have ha- what, how would it have felt if I didn't do that? And so, so, so just to review quickly, <laughs> I'm rambling. There's, you, when you're in a conversation, you can have no gap when you interrupt them. 
you can have a short gap, but you're only just waiting to take your turn to talk. And then you can have a longer gap where you truly absorb what they say and give them feedback that's meaningful to the thing that they were talking about. And then the fourth one, when I finally got to this, I thought, wow, this this really does feel good. But it's it's an act of discipline is I get they get done talking. I absorb them fully. I wait for a few seconds and then I don't take a turn. It's the weirdest thing. The first couple times you do it, just sit there looking at the person in case there's more that they want to say. And for me, it was always a, it was a practice of just not being focused on myself. And because uh, when I, like I said, when I direct my own thoughts, when I when I tried to have firm control the direction of my thoughts or my actions, or uh, I, it doesn't go well, I end up either disappointed or frustrated. So uh, that is something that I recommend. Try to see how how well you can respect the gap. Think when you're in conversation. Think about the conversation mostly being for the other person. Uh, and and you realize when you are passionate about something that you want to talk about and you find one of those people that does that, they become your favorite people to talk to. I ended up somebody that a lot of people wanted to talk to. And so I didn't in fact I didn't try to like fix their problems or anything like that. I just actually listened. And it made such a difference. Although you do attract some people that are endless talkers. Eventually, sometimes you got to pull your parachute. But um, so that's what I have to say about listening. Now I want to talk a little bit about learning and knowing. Um, I kind of uh, over time, like like when I was talking about identity before, I would have myself pigeonholed, and my my wife kind of says this sometimes. Uh, if there's something she's not very good at, she'll say, "Well, I'm not a such and such person. I'm not a technology person." I'm not a, um, a a novel reading person, uh, or you know, I'm not a I'm not a a swimmer person, and um, and I guess it's true. There are, there are just certain areas where we have absolutely no aptitude or or interest or neither. Um, but I try to not. I, I felt myself stuck in places because of that. And it, and it was difficult to, to venture out past my own definition, my strict definition of my identity, because I might not be good at something. I don't want to, I don't want to be known as a such and such person who sucks at that thing. But it got me thinking more and more when I did start kind of opening up and not get, not caring as much whether or not I failed at things. Um, I started becoming more interested in whether or not I could improve at something. Maybe to maybe say gain basic proficiency at something more than being good at it or God forbid, great at it. Like uh, I, when I, when I, a lot of times in adolescence and I remember being this way myself, it was very discouraging to continue attempting to do something at which you did not have immediate success. And I think that's just human nature. Like the way I was talking before about losing weight, you got to get yourself to the point where you can um, delay your gratification. I did. I mean, I, I needed to, I'm still working on it, but um, 
I've come to a point, I think, where I'm starting to appreciate learning much more than being good at or being great at something. I think to myself, can I get can I get pretty good at that? Because some of the stuff is fun. Like there are a lot of things I'm not great at. I mean, I don't even know if among other people who are proficient, I would even be considered good. Like I play guitar. Um, and I've been playing for probably, I don't know, 10 years. Um, but but I, I just get the sense musically, I, I get the sense that, I don't want to say it, but I'm not a music person. Um, and I guess that means like great at it. I'm not great. I think you'll end up great at the things that you you are born with a natural aptitude and you work very hard at. Or at least apply yourself to. And so I applied myself to learning how to play guitar and I'm pretty good. Um, and that's that's okay with me. You know, because compared to somebody who doesn't play guitar, I play guitar. But it doesn't bother me that I'm not going to be great at it. I think each person has like God-given gifts that if they apply themselves, they can become great at something. Um, but I just kind of, I started opening myself up to the idea of getting getting good at something. Um, and then, like I was saying before about, about respecting the process, just like um, respecting the process of, of getting fit. Um, let's see. You know, I was once told to that, that, you know, I don't people have probably heard the expression. Uh, it's not good to have all or nothing thinking, but you know, I've heard people say it like almost like it's a bumper sticker all or nothing, buddy. I don't get that. I don't understand what that means. Like I'm trying to apply it to something specific. Like I'm, I'm saying I'm at the casino and I'm playing craps. My goal is to win everything like, like thousands of dollars or lose it all. I, I guess it sounds kind of cool. It sounds like macho and adventurous, but I don't, I, I don't think, I don't think all or nothing thinking. I think it's a crutch. And I think I, I, in my own life, it's been, I think when I'm, when I've been doing it, it's been a sign of immaturity. I think like, like if you're doing something and you make a mistake, make a mistake, do you, do you have to knock all the pieces off the chessboard? Start again so you can do it perfect that time? Or is it okay to allow the mistakes along the way, knowing that over time, in the process, you're going to be able to keep on improving at it? And uh, I think it, uh, as a teacher, well, I almost said it, <laughs> as a teacher, um, I think I've, I've been frustrated by students before who have had that kind of all or nothing thinking. Uh, I, I can completely relate to it. Like in my mind, I'm perfect. And so I don't want you to see me make a mistake because then you'll, you'll think I'm not perfect. And so first make mistake I make, I'm just going to, I'm just going to not put myself in that category of person anymore. It's very, very limiting if that makes any sense. So I don't know. I always thought like, what? I think a lot of people think like, what? What would you put on your gravestone? People ask that question. What do you want on your tombstone? 
And like usually it's the list of the most important things that you consider yourself to be, have been, will have been. And, um, and I guess I think learner, learner is probably the thing I would like to be able to be the most while I'm alive. I want to be a good learner because learner is a key. You can keep putting it in, 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 in many doors rather than just being great at something. Um, if you can learn, you can become great at many things, or at least good. And so it's a vehicle. I think it's a much more important than the destination that you get to with it. If that makes any sense. So I'd like, I'd like learner to be written on my tombstone. Um, let's see. Um, okay. Here's something. Um, there are a lot of things that people say, and I've, I've, I've heard myself doing it, that you, you'll say something, some turn of phrase or figure of speech that, that makes sense colloquially, like everyone else knows what you mean, but no one really knows why you're saying it in, in the form of those words. Like, and it, it can be sometimes just one word or sometimes an expression like, you know, um, like saved by the bell. Uh, I remember that show, Saved by the Bell. <laughs> uh, Zach Morris. Holy crap. But I always thought that Saved by the Bell meant just before you were going to get crushed at something, you were saved because, like, the, the the third quarter ended before the other team scored or the bell the, the bell in the boxing match went off and you were down on the ground and they were counting one, two, three – and halfway through the count, before they could get to 10, the bell went off. And you were saved by the bell. But that's not where it came from, if I, unless I've been misinformed. But I actually went try to find out. And you know where saved by the bell came from? Back in the old days, when, when coroners sometimes made mistakes about whether or not a person was dead, when they would, and they might, they might be in a coma and their heart rate was so low that it wasn't recognizable, they would, they would attach a string into the casket through a hole, and it would, it would come up through the ground to the surface of the, of the ground, and there would be, it would be attached to a little bell. And there was someone's job to walk around the cemetery listening for the bells. And if, if you suddenly came out of your coma and woke up and found yourself in a coffin, uh, you would suffocate eventually unless someone dug you out. And that's why you pulled on the string to ring the bell up on top. And then someone would come and realize you were still alive and they would dig you out. and You would be saved literally by the bell. I'm not sure that's it, but I hope that is. I would like to think that's true. But anyway, what I find myself doing now is when there's something I don't know in the spirit of learning, rather than just rather than just guessing at it or pretending I know, um, I'll just look it up. And sometimes it's funny, like it's a very common thing. Like uh, like earlier I said I took a constitutional with my dog. My dog and I took our morning constitutional. I had no idea. I, I used to say it all the time. I, I had no idea why it's called a constitutional. 
So I was like, this doesn't mean anything and it's stupid, but I'm going to look it up anyway. And I found out that in the 1800s, uh, people were starting to get fat. And there was like this, uh, this uh, fad where newspaper columnists and commentators started encouraging people to go for more walks. And um, and they, it was it was something you're supposed to do daily, and and you were supposed to have a strong enough constitution that you would go for a walk, even though if you didn't feel like doing it, like as one has a weak constitution or one has a strong constitution, your constitutional is a statement to yourself that you care about being healthy. Um, it's a principle that you follow, just like the the principles in our. United States Constitution. Anyway, that's where that came from, in case anyone. And here's the other part. I don't tell anybody it. Like, I'll tell you. But, like, in general conversation, I won't immediately go find the next person I know and see if they don't know it so I can inform them and be the guy who knows it. Because I'm just the guy who looked it up. The hardest part is not telling anybody. And waiting until it comes up in conversation. Which, if you do this practice with some kind of frequency... Eventually, there's enough stuff that you've found out that does come up. And here's the hard part. When it comes up, give someone else a chance to explain it. Back to listening. It's an act of discipline. And someone says, constitutional. I wonder where that came from. And there's like six or seven people there. Just, you, I know my immediate urge is to tell everybody. See if you can not. And then if nobody knows, you can be like, I, I think I know what it is. Um, and it's, uh, I, don't know. I don't know, just it feels feels better than just blurting it out and telling everybody, you know, for me anyway. Um, okay, I uh, speaking of language and words that people use that, uh, are, that, that we don't really know the derivation of, um, I'm that sort of on that topic. I'm a new... Uh, I talked last time about hats. You know, I have my teacher hat, my English teacher hat. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put my English teacher hat on now, and I, I might do this from time to time in these episodes because I just I want to get it out. And there's so many of them that, and and they recur, and I don't know what the teacher inside me ends up noticing it at least each time. So maybe getting it out will be cathartic. Maybe I'll save them all up and make it a, a unit so at some point. But um, here is uh, here's one of them. Uh, I was watching the uh, I was watching the Yankee game yesterday, and um, Paul O'Neill was commentating, and I forget who it was playing first base for the Yankees, but uh, somebody hit like a weak grounder, and it was going to be a close play at first base. And the infielder threw the ball first, and it was a close play. Actually, no, it was a double play. And on the turn, on the way back to first base, it was very close. It was a speedy runner, and the runner was safe. And then after the play, uh, it became evident that the first baseman had gotten his kind of ankle and foot stepped on by the runner. So it was kind of a, a confusing play at first. And, uh, and he got spiked kind of on the foot. And those metal spikes are... Those are the real deal. Um, and so after the play, you could see the first baseman kind of limping around trying to walk it off. Paul O'Neill noticed it and said, uh, wow, it just 
he looks like there was a, a collision there at first base, and he got stepped on, and, and he, it looks like he got spiked uh, on the ankle. And boy, that is the last thing you want to happen. And I, I, I whenever I hear that, I go, yeah, hold on a second. It's the last thing you wanted to happen. Like, that means it's on the list. That means, like, uh, he wants this thing to happen and then that thing and then a few other things. And then finally, you want to get your ankle spiked by a big, strong, heavy man because it's the last thing you want. Don't know why we say that. Uh, and two, the other one is um, people say this all the time. I could care less. You know, if she wants to go out with somebody else, I could care less. Could care less means that there's a level below that which you care that you could even move down to and care even less. You could care less about something. It means you don't care all the way at the bottom. You don't care zero. So I think what people mean is they couldn't care less. I could not care less. In other words, if, you, if, you, if there's no less that you can care, then you care the least. You could not care less. And that's just something I'm not getting in the words. I'm pretty sure when people say I could care less, I think they mean I couldn't care less. Um, but it just became part of the way we talk. Um, and I guess it goes back to like, you know, does it matter? If, if people understand what you're saying, then that was that's the point of communication. Although I wouldn't write it. Eventually, somebody who's reading something is going to care more about mistakes that are made than someone who's hearing something. Although I wouldn't say it in an interview. 